Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Seminary Unboxed. I'm Matt Ayers, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary, and this is the official podcast of Wesley Biblical Seminary. And today, my guest is Dr. Christopher Hayes. And Dr. Hayes is the D. Wilson Moore Professor of Old Testament and Ancient Near Eastern Studies at Fuller Theological Seminary, and the Research Associate in the Department of Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures at the University of Pretoria, which is in South Africa. Uh, He is the author of Hidden Riches, a source book for the comparative study of the Hebrew Bible in the ancient Near East, the origins of Isaiah 24 to 27, which is a great little text of scripture that I love myself, by the way, um, Josiah's festival scroll for the fall of Assyria and death in the Iron Age two, and in first Isaiah, which won the Manfred, uh, how do you pronounce that, Chris? Lautenschlager, <laughs> Lautenschlager Award for Theological Promise in 2013. Hayes has written uh, the Isaiah Commentary in the New Oxford Bible Commentary and translated the book of uh, Isaiah for the Common English Bible. Hayes is ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA. So uh, without further ado, Chris, if I may, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah. And and I'll note, you know, you've done a lot of work in Isaiah. And here at WBS, uh, one of our gems in our crown uh, is Dr. John Oswald. I'm sure you're familiar with his work, uh, his contribution to the NICOT Commentary Series, NIV, and translator of the NIV Isaiah uh, book, and and also, I think, the New Living Translation as well. And mm-hmm. uh, and he's a, de- a dear friend of mine. So Very good. Excellent. Yeah. So um, for our listeners, don't be intimidated too much by that very academic uh, bio. Uh, Chris has written a, a more of a popular level book uh, that has come out uh, just this year. I think it's just 2021, last year, excuse me, the end of 2021, November, called God and Guns, the Bible Against American Gun Culture. Uh, and that's edited. He's a contributor to that volume uh, as well as C.L. Crouch, but they're the main editors of the volume as a whole. It's published by Westminster John's no- John Knox Press. You can pick that up at your um, sellers online, you know the places. And, uh, and so I've invited him on to talk about this book, God and Guns, the Bible Against American Gun Culture. So Chris, if you would tell us a little bit about this book. Thanks, sure. Um, well, I, I've said in, in previous interviews that I, I learned over the years, uh, something about myself, which is that I don't like to write books that don't need to be written. So I, I don't like to write books that, you know, that we all agree on and where I'm just, you know, kind of turning the crank. So um, it's a book that I, I was aware um, when we got to work on it, that it would be a, a controversial topic. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm here to talk about it. Uh, I guess that for me, this topic has a long history. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I, I didn't grow up um necessarily, you know, fearing for my life due to gun violence day after day, but certainly I, I lived in a, in a city uh, context for much of my youth where you would sometimes hear, you know, gunfire from the park across the street once in a while. Um, when I was once traveling out here to Los Angeles near where I am now, uh, as a teenager, there was a mass shooting at a McDonald's uh, and, you know, this gave me you know, certainly nightmares for, for years. So it, it was something that was uh, I think on my mind over the years. Um, I also come out of a, a family that had, you know, guns in in the home at times. My uh, grandfather was an Oklahoma cattle rancher and had a whole locked uh, glass case full of long guns in his uh, living room at his house. Uh, as a Boy Scout, I you know shot skeet at, at, at jamborees and was not bad at it. I would like to add. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I had, you know, guns 
in my life, like you know, many Americans do for, for both uh, good and ill over many years. Um, so, you know, I, I did write about this a little bit as a college newspaper editor, but I think it was really um, as a parent that this started to come back into focus. And, um, you know, having my kids in the 2000s, um, you know, they're, they're currently 16 and 11. And um, one of them is, you know, was the same age, uh, for example, at, as the kids at the Sandy Hook School, uh, where we had the mass shooting in uh, Newtown, uh, Connecticut. And so, um, you know, uh, between that and the dozens, even hundreds of other mass shootings that were taking place in the course of, um, of the 2000s, I think I just had this rising sense that we had a problem in the society. Um, and I kept thinking, well, you know, surely we're going to meet that head on at a, at a governmental level, at a, at a legal level. You know, surely we're going to have a, a shift at some point here. And um, that just never happened. Uh, so I, I began to, to talk about it with some of my fuller colleagues. And even going back, I don't know what it's been now, you know, eight or 10 years, we, we put together a, a web page that was just sort of gun violence resources, helping people to you know, think about this, both about the risks and about you know, some of the sort of theological and uh, political perspectives on it. Um, and then when, when my colleague, uh, C.L. Crouch, came uh, and joined me at Fuller, she had some funding for conferences. And so we were able to put together this conference and, and bring in some great scholars from all around North America uh, who, who'd done some thinking about uh, related topics. And so we first had a conference here at, at Fuller uh, and had some great conversations. And then, you know, so over the last you know, two years or so, we've, we've put, put this book together. And, you know, I, I kept fearing in some ways, you know, not, I mean, uh, um, um, as an author, that by the time that, I, you know, that this book came out, that somehow we would have settled this whole <laughs> conversation. But it just, it, it uh, never goes away. And so, you know, things may have been tamped down somewhat um, during the pandemic in, in terms of mass shootings, just because there weren't all that many large gatherings of, of people happening during it. Um, but then you ha have the risk of, of gun suicide, which went up in the past couple of years without all of the stresses and all of the mental health challenges that people were facing. So um, it, it's just as live an issue as it ever was. And um, we're hoping that, you know, churches and uh, Bible study groups will, you know, will perhaps use this book um, in their week to week uh, study. It's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a small book. It's about 150 pages total and you know we've tried to make it readable so that's our goal wonderful thank you for that history of how the book came together and uh, you know similar to you i grew up in a sounds like you grew up in more of an urban context i grew up in an urban suburban context outside of philadelphia about 30 minutes or so from the city uh, a particularly dangerous city philadelphia is and of course camden camden is even closer to where i grew up than, than philadelphia is uh, in New Jersey there. And Camden's kind of like the source of drugs coming into the county I lived in in South Jersey. Uh, but that being the case, I didn't grow up around guns, uh, never had a gun in the house. Um, and I didn't know anyone with guns. Now, granted, I was quite young. I moved to the state of Delaware when I was about 12. And even then, never had guns in the house, never knew anyone with guns. Uh, it was a little safer in Delaware than it was in South Jersey. Um, and, then, and then I moved to Kentucky. Uh, to go to undergraduate school and realize that uh, the gun culture, and I know we haven't really defined what that means when we say gun, gun culture, um, but I, I, assuming that we know what I mean, moving to a Southern state 
um, kind of came onto my radar. And then I moved to Haiti. And of course, in Haiti, there was the question of Christian ethics as a missionary. You know, there's all missionaries all over Haiti. And uh, Haiti, it can be dangerous because of the poverty and the lack of, you know, policing and security of the country. And missionaries were pretty regularly discussing, you know, is it okay to defend ourselves and more our families, you know, with firearms? Uh, because there are things like kidnappings and robberies and murders. Um, not super not super prolific in the area of Haiti where I lived, which was a city, but the Northern city, much more safe than uh, Port-au-Prince, which is the 7 million people of Haiti, massive city with lots of crime and, and, uh, and guns are becoming more present in the nation of Haiti. But when I was there, they weren't really there. So, uh, but any, nonetheless, it was a debate as Christians, as missionaries, what is our ethic? What, what is our interpretation of scripture and ethics on defending our families if, if need be? And, and so in any case, and then I moved to Mississippi, where there's uh, almost everyone I know now owns a gun, multiple guns, do- some dozens of guns, uh, most of which have to do with hunting. You mentioned your grandfather from Oklahoma, cattle rancher. Uh, some of my friends come from uh, cattle ranching backgrounds. Um, uh, but a lot of the, the hunting culture is big here in Mississippi. Um, so again, I, I, I can identify fewer people without guns and with guns in my in my little network here. Granted, I've only been here two years, so my network's not massive. So, um, so that's kind of new to me, uh, this idea of, you know, kind of being a regular thing. And not only that, people carrying, um, you know, people open carrying, people uh, concealed carry. That was not something I was raised with. And I remember I was driving uh, uh, to Mississippi through Alabama and we stopped at a, a little pizza shop in Alabama and we're sitting there as a family. You mentioned being a parent kind of changed a little, made you think about this, mm-hmm. brought into focus, I think was your language. You know, I had uh, four young kids and a man walks in and he's carrying a gun on his hip, you know, in a civilian, not a police officer, right, in, in the restaurant. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. It makes me a little uncomfortable with the kids sitting here. And so it, it's all kind of new to me, I yeah. think is my point. So I'm curious then, all that to say, kind of sharing my experience against yours. Uh, what were kind of the major findings and conclusions? I mean, this, the title of the book is pretty definitive, The Bible Against American Gun Culture, right? And so yeah. I'd love to hear that. But I, I think, too, major conclusions, uh, you know, in terms of scripture and how we think about these things and ethics, but also how are we defining American gun yeah. culture and, and what do we mean by that? Yeah, I mean, that, that does bring up a lot of different topics. And, uh, and so I think that it's good to have a place to start like that. So what, what is gun culture? Um, I think in terms of, of culture, I think we could probably talk that out more, how it actually looks um, in a society. But I, I think that what struck me in, in some of the research data on guns in America is that there's a, there's a form of self-identity that is shaped around being a, a, a gun owner where um, you, you get your sense of, of who you are based on the fact that you, know, that you own a gun. And I, you know, I think about that guy who walked into the a restaurant where your family was. And I mean, I, I am positive that he thinks of himself as a good guy with a gun, right? Um, and it, because that's, that's what they say it takes to stop a bad guy with a gun, right? Um, and so for, for different people who, who own guns, I think that that sort of gun self-identity goes to different depths. Um, I mean, I, I'll say first, you know, we, you know, we were just talking about uh, cattle ranchers and and people like that and, or hunters. Um, one thing that you will not read in this book is that you know there should be no no guns anywhere. We are not saying that. Um, we you know I mean guns are are tools and if you have to 
have a gun to shoot varmints who are you know, going to prey on, on your cattle. That's a tool that, you know, that makes sense. Um, if you, I mean, I, and, you know, hunting, I, I'm certainly not, you know, morally superior to, you know, to, to uh, hunters. If anything, you know, those of us who buy our meat on a styrofoam tray at the supermarket probably have less of a sense of, of the holiness of God's creation than those who, who have to hunt their own meat or, or choose to hunt their own meat. So um, that's a, those are slightly different questions. Um, and I, and I, in your, um, in your question, you know, you also raised the question of, of how other countries do it, which is something that we ought to circle back to later in the, in the conversation. Um, I think that though to come back to this sort of self-identity question, it's striking because in the U.S., uh, Christians and especially um, evangelical uh, Christians are linked to higher rates of gun ownership and to more support or, or you know, to like you know, to less support for gun control measures that might make you know school children and and everyone in, in public safer. But what is striking to me when you drill down is that actually. Um, when you look at people who are deeply involved in churches, that, that breaks down somewhat, that, that um, these, are, these are actually somewhat uh, different ways of defining the self as a Christian who, who is involved in the church versus as a gun owner. And, I, and of course, the, you know, there's still lots of overlap, so those are not like absolute categories, but um, I think that what probably individual Christians ought to ask themselves is, am I first a Christian or am I first a, a good guy with a gun? Because th those actually are, are really different narratives that we tell about ourselves. Um, and I, I think that that's where I, I think when you get into um, where it's more important to uh, carry a gun than to follow Jesus, then that things can, can come to a head. And, and some of the articles in our book talk about that. Now, I, I can't really generalize about sort of book conclusions because it, it's a set of six different essays, you know, by six uh, separate authors and each one um, on purpose takes on a, a, a different piece of the canon and, or, you know, different books or stories and tries to analyze them. And, and so, um, you know, we can certainly talk about what various ones of them do in general. I, I do think that we're, we're trying to press Christians in America to think about our relationship with guns, to think about how we can, make the world around us safer. I, I think that certainly we all um, would like to support life. You know, we'd like to support uh, public safety. And I, I think that there is, you know, both sort of, you know, public safety data for that. And I think that there are also some indications in the Bible of, you know, different models from the ones that we often live with day to day in America. Yeah, that's helpful. And that's a good point. I, I, you know, being aware that there's multiple contributors in this volume and, and each one's drawing different conclusions based on the topic that they're wrestling with in their particular area. Um, so th that, that is helpful. I think uh, one thing I'm curious about, if you can talk more on it, is you talked about, and I like your definition of gun culture, where we think of ourselves, it's a part of our identity. I'm a gun owner or I'm not a gun owner. Um, I think an observation and a question. And, you know, my limited experience here in, in Mississippi, where almost everyone that I know who identifies as evangelical is a gun owner. Um, no one has ever, I don't get that sense from them here. Um, I've never had anyone ask me if I own a gun. Um, I've, I've it, and, and I don't get a sense that it's because 
Um, they just assume that I do because I'm a Christian. You know what I mean? Um, it, it doesn't seem to be that way here. Now, again, limited experience, my assumptions coming to the table, my particular network, the kind of people that I'm hanging out with uh, and, and spending social time with time at church, et cetera. Um, but so guns as being a part of our identity as gun culture, how deep does that go? Great observation. I, I like that. Um, we think of ourselves first and foremost, am I a gun owner? And then am I a Christian? And so what I want to ask you about that, isn't that true of anything? Like in terms of the call to Christianity, nothing should come before our identity in Christ with our faith. You know, in Haiti, this is something really interesting. Um, are you Haitian first? Or are you a Christian first, right? Mm. Your nationality and patriotism and nationalism. And, and now in Haiti, it goes a little bit deeper than that. We can deal with that here. Am I an American first, you know, kind of God and country theology and then a Christian, whatever. But in Haiti, um, you, pr you probably know a bit of the history of, of Haiti and how it became an independent nation. You know, French colonials were there, had slaves, uh, successful slave rebellion. But the slave rebellion was initiated through a voodoo sacrifice service, the slaughtering of a pig and all this stuff. And in the name of conjuring the deities or the, the spirits, the loa, the job of the Haitian pantheon that they brought over from Africa and animism and all these things. And the question was, so being hyper tuned into the spiritual world as animists tend to be, they said, well, who is the God of the French? Well, they were Catholic at the time. So that's the God of the Bible. Well, according to that narrative, they asked, who's his enemy? Well, that's Satan. All right. So that's the deity that we're going to align with. And so they see this as there's the white Christians and then the black voodooism, which is the, the technical Haitian word. Um, and so our identity as a Haitian nation grows out of this contrary position in the spiritual warfare dynamic, right? We know this is Old Testament guys, ancient Near East, you know, uh, um, uh, cosmic geography and deities attached to certain land and all this stuff and people group, ethnic, ethnic groups. So I've had Haitians tell me I can't become a Christian. Well, why? Because if I become a Christian, I'm no longer Haitian, right? To be yeah. Haitian is to be against. Now, that's a very simplistic way of putting it. A huge portion of the Haitian population is Roman Catholic, right? And so, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's deep syncretism between Roman Catholic and Haitian voodoo and all this sort of thing. So, but back to my, my point, nothing should come first, whether it's guns, our country, our sexuality, our, it should always be Christ first. And so I guess the follow-up question is what makes guns particularly unique? And I'm assuming, well, I'm going to, I assume that I know the answer to that, but I'll let you talk to it. Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there are two pieces in here that I, I think are, are worth mentioning in connection with that question. One is the last essay in the volume, which is really one of, one of the gems by David Lincecum, who's a Notre Dame professor. Um, and uh, he talks about the role that tools play in informing the people who use them. So he, he talks about just the fact that you have the capacity and the option to do a thing makes you a different kind of person. I mean, and you know, it's, it's fairly obvious if you have a, um, you know, like a, a, a tunnel boring, you know, contraption, then you can bore a tunnel straight through a mountain and you become the people who can pass through a mountain, right? If you have a cell phone, then you have the capacity to, to check facts or to chat with friends all over the world. And, and you become a different kind of person because you have that, that capacity. If you have a gun in your hand or on your belt, then you have the capacity to shoot somebody 
on the street. And that makes you someone different. It just, I mean, it, it shapes your, your thinking. It shapes your sense of possibilities. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't carry a gun, but I, I mean, I can only imagine how that would change certain common stressful interactions that you have on, on the road or in a store where you, you know, do you, do you work things out with words or, or, or do you not? And of course, you know, I mean, if, if you look at the huge number of people who live in the country and the huge number of guns, obviously on the whole, if you want to say that most people don't make that choice most of the time, that's right. But we certainly make it much more than most countries do. So we're, we're, you know, we're, we're introducing death and the potential for death into our, um, into our society with that option by, you know, by making it such a, you know, such a widespread and, and widely embraced thing. And, and so Dave actually, I mean, he's, and he does, as I said, explicitly accept things like, you know, hunting and, you know, ranching and things where there's a, a need for a gun for, as a tool, but this idea of sort of widespread private gun ownership, walking down the street, that's, you know, that, that for him starts to feel like something that probably Jesus wouldn't do that. And so that, that ties into my, um, you know, my piece, which is about self-defense as a gun owner, because overwhelmingly, and you've, you've already mentioned this, self-defense is the reason given by gun owners, especially women, almost, almost all female gun um, owners say, you know, say that they do it for self-defense reasons. Um, so there, there are sort of public health problems with that theory that actually, you know, having a gun in your home makes you more likely to be shot by either yourself via suicide or, or by someone else in your family. Um, you know, guns are often not stored well, et cetera. Um, you know, but then also I, I tell this story from the book of Isaiah um, in which Hezekiah is trying to make the city safe. Um, and so he's, he's tearing down houses to build up new uh, fortification walls at the end of the eighth century. And I mean, it's a very practical thing to do, at least at, at face value, because he, here come the uh, Assyrians, you know, with the biggest army in the ancient world, and they're coming to pillage and rape and destroy. And so, you know, of course you want to keep your, your family safe. And yet Isaiah condemns him for that. Uh, he, and he says, you, you did not look to the one who made Jerusalem. You, you did not look to God is, is what he's saying um, that he's, he's trusting in his schemes. And, and this is one of Isaiah's common themes, right? That, you know, don't trust in, in human schemes and packs, trust in, in God, God will, will protect. Um, and so it, you know, this advice sounds impractical, but it, it's based on his broader sense of, of Hezekiah's bad decision-making that's put him in this place in the first place. Um, and so I, but I, you know, but it is counterintuitive to, to not build up, you know, bigger walls, to not, you know, tear down people's houses to, to make yourself safer. Um, but I, I tie that into a, um, a, a French monk who's living in Algeria at a time of, uh, of civil war. And there are, you know, Muslim insurgents in the country at that time. And, and so he knows for some years that he's in danger and then he, he gets killed. And, and after his death, they find a, a letter which he had written two years earlier to the man who would kill him, not, not knowing, of course, who that was, just uh, foreseeing his own death. And he, he, he forgives this man. He calls him my a brother and he, he foresees a meeting him in heaven in the future. And, and so it's this, it's this act of truly sort of Christ-like taking up his cross. He, he chooses nonviolence. He chooses not to defend himself. 
he stays in the situation as a kind of missionary. I mean, he's a monk, but they, you know, as a Christian presence in a in a difficult land, right? Um, and he, you know, he he dies, you know, peacefully, and, and or at least he he dies not having uh, committed violence and and seemingly at peace with that choice. Um, and I just think it's something that we never even think about much. I mean, we we're so practical, like Hezekiah. We're we're so focused on well. You know, what about that tiny chance that I might have the chance to use a gun to protect my family? And as a family man myself, I get that so much. Like you, you would do anything to defend your your family, and you you want the best for them. Um, but the problem is when we all make that choice, we sort of raise the temperature or the risk level of our whole society, and so then then things you know break out. And often, you know that 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 a good guy with a gun becomes the bad guy with a gun under the wrong kinds of stress. Um, I mean, um, you know, for every, you know, deeply mentally ill person who, who, who commits a mass shooting, there are, are more who probably um, were just having a bad year or a bad month or, or whatever. And just, you know, this is where things boil over and in bad work situations and, um, you know, in, bad romantic situations these these often lead to these um these terrible shootings so i mean I, i'm sort of painting here in in broad strokes because we're we're speaking briefly but um there are, are some sort of models in the book where we're we're trying to talk about what it really means to be christ-like uh and and that's a that's a difficult thing for us to do in our culture sometimes that's helpful. And, and so how, how does sort of the implications of the thinking about privatization, private owning of guns, self-defense, um, you know, I said, I don't own a gun. And I've, I've, I've thought through and prayed through with my wife, especially, you know, what would we do if someone broke into our home or into a hotel room and we're going after our children? I'm not worried about defending myself. Um, yeah. but I am about my wife and kids. So there's that conversation, but what are the implications then of this conversation on things like Russia and Ukraine and just war and defending the, uh, uh those sorts of things. And I also can't help but think about Nazi Germany. Um, I can't help think about, you know, the Jews and, and, you know, the whole purpose of the right to bear arms, you know, against a, a possibly tyrannical government and, and those sorts of things. But I know the book isn't dealing with just war. I'm aware of that. But I do think yeah. some of the conversation about ethics and defense, uh, and not even self-defense, but the defense of others, I think there are implications here. Is that something that you're willing yeah. to talk about? Yeah. Um, you know, I, one of the cool things about this project is that we ended up getting Stanley Hauerwas to write the foreword for it. And of course, his work has has talked a lot about you know, just war theory and um, you know, pacifism. These are major themes, but he he's never really extended his thinking to uh, private gun ownership. He, he's the, you know he, he's been thinking more at the, at the national level. So I we saw this kind of resonance there. Um, and I you know Howard Wass is in in the same line as what I was just talking about a somewhat impractical theologian. I mean he he is he is somewhat radical at, at times in calling you calling us to um, you know, to try to follow the sort of Christian story and, and to really live into that in a radical, um, self-sacrificial way. Um, and I, I think he, he is you know, troubled by the national culture of, of violence. I mean, you know, so, so much of our national narrative is about war and, um, you know, all of our great past war heroes and um, even the sort of conquest of, of, of North America 
Um, you know, this is all done sort of at the point of a gun. It's it's a major theme of, of our story. So I, I think that current gun uh, you know gun views in our society are, are linked to that larger national narrative. Um, you know, but to get to the larger question of sort of self protection um, or, or, or more others of, 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 of other people, yeah, yeah, yeah and I, th- um, I think that's an important. Yeah, I think this is a conversation that families should be having. Um, in the book, we have about you know six or eight pages worth of, of data, which really again suggests that you're on the whole you are not making your family safer by having a gun in the house. Kids find guns. Kids shoot themselves. People have bad days. They they shoot themselves. Spouses have fights and they shoot each other. I know that we we think that these things will will never happen, but by odds, they're fairly common in the country. And I you know certainly um, you know like you, I don't have a gun in the house. And, you know, for us as a, as a couple, in fact, my, you know, my co-editor, uh, Carly Crouch is, is my wife as well. So there's <laughs> dipping my hand on, on that one. Um, so certainly we're on the same page about this, but it's, it's worth having a talk, you know, in light of some of the data on this to say, you know, how, how are we really safer and, and get on the same page with your spouse? Um, yeah, I, I could probably say more, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's something to to think about. I, I know that we all want to do the right thing. We, you know, we all want to be the good guy and to, to take care of, of those around us. So, but I'm a, I'm a data kind of person. I, I think that we need information to, to make those choices. So, and I, I mean, you know, when you look around at some other nations, which is something that we might want to sort of squeeze in here at the end, I mean, there, there are so many different ways of doing gun laws. I mean, you know, you, you look at a country like Australia, which like us has a, you know, wide open spaces and you know, right. complex cultures and some, you know, certainly, certainly some risk of, of violence. And they had one mass shooting and, and they, you know, they took away most of the private gun ownership. So that's, you know, that's one model for, for how to do it. You know, their ranchers still have guns, so they're, they're not gone. <laughs> or a country like, like uh, Israel, which, I mean, you, you walk around there and you have a pretty strong sense, gosh, there are, are lots of submachine guns walking around in, in some of the tourist areas where you have Israeli soldiers and things guarding um, so you, you, you have a sense of guns, but their uh, ammunition is so carefully controlled that, um, mass shootings are, are far more difficult. If, if someone were stockpiling guns and, and, and ammunition, and they would know. And I, I think that there are, are checks and balances on that, on that type of thing, you know, but then again, you, you go to parts of Europe and the UK where, you know, there's almost no private gun ownership outside of, you know, hunting and, you know, shooting clubs. Um, and they don't seem to have more violent crime than we do. So I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, that the actual theory that guns reduce violent crime by scaring people f- from doing it, I'm not sure that that's actually supported by other nations' experiences. But, you know, we have so, so many now that you, you create a problem. You know, what would you do if, if you wanted fewer guns? And as you well know, that would not go over well. So what are we yeah. doing? Yeah. yeah. And I think the international thing, different cultures and contexts. I mean, it can't, you know, I, when you said Israel, I thought, man, that's just a completely different context, isn't it? With regard to uh, who's around them and anti-Semitism and all sorts of other things, you know. And then on top of that, I can't help but think of Haiti, where there's um, the 10 years that we lived there, there were UN tanks driving down the street, you know, and wow. and machine guns everywhere. And it was for keeping peace. And right. as soon as they left, violence broke out. And like, it's like, okay, so how do I calculate for that? You know, how does that, but the, I think what you're calling for is good in the sense of let's look at the data and let's think about it. Um, 
uh, had one other, uh, yeah, one other final question. Uh, and again, thank you for doing this with, with me and, and for the listeners. I think this is really helpful. It's a great conversation to have. Um, actually, if I can, two questions. I'm going to kind of put them. <laughs> so I want to I, I be faithful to the title of the book, you know, The Bible Against American Gun Culture. We've talked about what gun culture is. But um, if you could talk about specific, you know, where does the Bible, you, you mentioned Isaiah, of course, and uh and that's one. Can you point to anything in the New Testament for the listeners about what we see there and what would be supportive of kind of reevaluating American gun culture out of the New Testament? Um, and then also, uh, what do you see is the proper place of guns? You've, we've talked in passing about ranchers and hunting, and uh, and I mentioned you know just war and military defending the innocent. And well, what about police officers? What about so if you could just kind of weigh in on those things, if you would. So Bible, New Testament, ethics, and what the Bible says about gun culture, aside from the Isaiah passage, which I think is great. And then what is the proper place of guns? Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a lot to I know. Uh, whatever you, whatever you want to do, coming. man. <laughs> whatever you want to do. If you want to just attack one of those questions, go for it. Yeah. Um, I suppose that one of the texts that that's get, gets brought up more than once in the book is um, uh, is in Luke twenty two thirty six, where where Jesus seems to encourage his disciples to sell their cloaks to you know, buy a sword. You know, it seems to be meant meant for for self defense. Um, I I really I'm I'm reluctant to to give the whole spiel here, although I should probably work this up. It's funny that I'm not put on the spot more about the NT side of this. Um, I think that what, what Dave would say is that you, you weigh that against the entire witness of the new Testament and, and sure. in fact, of, of Jesus's own example of, of laying down his life and, and the sort of theology of the cross um, and, and the call to take up your cross and, and follow me. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I sure wish that we, you know, we could have all of the uh, contributors to the book here, sort of ensemble to, to talk about that. I, I'll share one, one more of the biblical examples, though, which is by, by Brent Strawn, who, who talks about the conquest narratives in the book of Joshua, which is one of the places that we see so much violence, right, in the Old Testament. But he actually, I mean, he, he makes a fascinating case in that chapter that actually um, we may have overread the level of violence and that, in fact, within the Old Testament law, you have quite serious constraints on, on the kind of violence that, that is supposed to be carried out. So he's, he's actually theorizing that we're, we're sort of projecting some of our own fascination with, with violence onto the Old Testament. So I think that what the book does step by step is to is to walk you through and and sort of you know take these texts from different um, you know different parts of the Bible and, and give them just a half turn and say well let's you know you know let's look at it this way instead um, you know one example of that there's an essay also by uh, Tracy Rimosh that that talks about um, the bow in the ancient Near East as a weapon and and in the Bible as a weapon as compared with the gun, because it's a highly symbolic weapon of, of manhood in the Bible. So she's, um, you know, she's encouraging people, to, you know, to think about how, how people's manhood is, is tied up with gun ownership and, and then what that does um, to, a, to an author. You have Shelley Matthews, who then 
and also picks up on sort of issues of, of gender, of manhood. She, she's talking about um, a sort of brotherhood model of, of Christ. So not so you know thinking about um, what it would mean to be a caretaker, not as a sort of you know patriarch of the family who's got the power of life and death over everyone in his sphere, which is I think part of that sort of gun ideology. Um, but rather to think about what you know what it would be like to treat a creation um, in a Christ-like model as a brother and and as a as an equal as a caregiver as a supporter as opposed to as, as one who has total power. So there, you know, that's a sort of small sampling of of where the book goes. Um, I think you know as far as what the role of guns ought to be. In the society, I mean, I think that that one of the reasons that this book may have fascinated you, as you said, is that you you grew up not in a gun-intensive culture, and and now you're in one that is. Um, so you sort of seen uh, different sides of this issue in, in different parts of the world, and I, I think that's true of me too. Um, I, I've lived and, and traveled all over the world. I've seen lots of different ways of you know using or, or not using guns. I must say that I feel privileged not to have to worry about carrying or, or guns myself or you know people carrying guns around me and, and like you once in, i mean I've, I've lived in the south i've lived in georgia i've lived in um north carolina um and you know traveled all, all over the west so i you know i i certainly have had the same experience of, of somebody walking into a, a convenience store with a gun on the belt it just and and like you it just i don't feel safer when i see that or at least i i, don't, I won't speak for you i don't feel safer when i see that um, and so I, I think it's a privilege to be able to take that out of the equation and to feel like there are, um, you know, that we have ways to work things out and, and, a, and a level of, uh, you know, civilization where we don't have to ever, you know, worry about having to kill a fellow human being. So that, you know, that would be my hope for the society as a whole. I don't know how we get there from here. Um, but I, I hope that we can do it. Great. Well, Christopher, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time with us. And for those that want to pick up the book, you can get that at your sellers. It is called, again, uh, God and Guns, the uh, Bible Against American Gun Culture. Christopher Hayes, uh, one of the editors of that volume, I encourage listeners to go and check it out. And as I always do, encourage you to, to do the research, you know, do your spirit filled interpretation of the word and, and, and work on this uh, in our souls, have good constructive conversations. So again, thank you, Chris, for, for being here. And until next time, this is Seminary Unboxed. Thank you all.